Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theatre Company. I'd like to welcome you to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theatre podcast on all things related to the theatre. Today we have a very special guest, the Tony Award-winning playwright David Edgar, the author of Written on the Heart, will be talking to us, and he will be joined by the entire cast of Written on the Heart. Let's start with a question for David. So uh, most of our cast is here, all all twenty three of them, and um, and brilliant, we, yes, uh, and uh, a few of whom you know from uh, from past experiences. Um, we just wanted to, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for the play and thank you for allowing us to do it, and uh, then we just wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about, you know, how the how the play came about originally, and. Um, you know, sort of ideas you have about how the play is uh, is important or useful um, for us beyond the celebration of the 400th anniversary. Well, it it, it certainly started with the 400th anniversary, um, knowing that was coming up, um, and feeling that the Royal Shakespeare Company having. Um, uh, ha- having as it, its it, its own bible, if you like, um, the the other most important public published uh, publication of, of of the 17th century, and ar- arguably ever, uh, the, the first folio of Shakespeare. So uh, it seemed very appropriate, and Stratford actually has got. Uh, both the first folio of Shakespeare and um, a King James Bible. Um, the King James Bible in, in, in the church where Shakespeare is buried. So it had all those connections. But obviously that wasn't sufficient. I think that the next thing was, was I was thinking about the fact that although I'm not religious um, myself at all, or not anymore, um, I do remember when I was at school uh, being, you know, very inspired by the, by the King James Bible uh, as both as a work of religion but also as a, a, a work of literature um, and I wanted to kind of uh, uh, whenever I mentioned that to my Christian friends they'd get quite cross and say well you know it's just nostalgia for you and uh, the translation has all sorts of problems and it's in old-fashioned language and people don't understand it uh, and that the modern versions which which I find rather dull, uh, the modern versions are much better as, a, as spiritual documents, uh, and you're just treating it as, as, as literature and uh, as a way of feeling nostalgic about your school days. And, and, and there was a sort of element, I felt, of truth in that. Uh, but I wanted to sort of think about why, uh, you know, why I felt so strongly uh, about it. Um, and then I started reading and and, 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 and began to understand that the what we call the King James Bible which you know was translated supposedly I mean translated in inverted commas by by 54 uh, clerics in 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 between 1603 and and 1610 that actually it that it was a rewrite of of the preceding Bibles that go back to back to William Tyndale um, and that while Tyndale t- translated the Bible for very radical, almost revolutionary reasons, um, the purpose of the King James Bible was to draw a line under that, was to um, 
uh, was to say, you know, we've now had the we've had two generations of of, of reformation. We've had nearly 100 years of altar smashing and window smashing and burnings and violence um, uh, and 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 upset. And, and now we we we've we've come to a compromise, which is basically to keep the uh, lots of elements of Catholic ceremony, uh, but to um, uh, but basically to to have Protestant doctrine. Um, and in that, of course, the Bible completely failed because the Civil War, which was the sort of last and greatest battle of the English Reformation, uh, was to start, you know, 20 years, 20, 30 years later. Right. So um, it, it, it was, I became increasingly interested in it as being about what happens when you have revolutions. Uh, and each generation thinks they've completed um, the task, and then and then the next generation comes up and says, "No, you haven't." And I think you can see that in 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 many, you know, in many progressive and radical and indeed revolutionary movements of uh, of, of of our own time. Sure. Um, and I guess that's expressed most sort of. Um, overtly in, in, in the figure of Mary at the end who, who says, you know, you, you can't tell us that that it's all over and that, you know, you've done all the spade work, you've now decided thus far but no further. Um, when, uh, when, when my generation wants to, uh, wants to complete the task. So that, that's, that's roughly how it went from, you know, went from the noticing the anniversary to the play that I'm delighted and honoured that you're going to be doing in, in of all places North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. David, um, uh, can you talk just a little bit about uh, Tyndale? Um, your suggestion a moment ago was that uh, his um, uh, significant contribution was uh, radical and um, more so than, than the uh, translators who came after him. Uh, I guess, or before him as well. Can you talk a little bit about Tyndale? Um, well, I mean, Tyndale was a fascinating figure because he, um, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's born in the West Country. Uh, he then becomes, uh, uh, he goes to Oxford, and he, he becomes a very fervent early Protestant at a period when that was quite a dangerous thing to be. I mean, at that point, you, you didn't say, I'm a Protestant, like you might say, I'm a Democrat or a Republican. You, you but you were critical of the church, uh, and and obviously church and state were so interwedded. No, no, no First Amendment there. That um, that being critical of the church is also being critical of the state. Uh, and then he goes to London and hopes to find a, a position in the household of a bishop who might let him. Um, translate the Bible because he believes very strongly that the Bible should be uh, should be um, uh, in, in, in the language that pe pe ordinary people speak uh, uh, and, the, and the, the fact it's in Latin is creating huge authority for the priesthood because it's then up to the priesthood to interpret this document that nobody 
uh, nobody can actually uh, access directly. Um, but of course, the problem with translating it is that there's all kinds of things um, that were part of Catholic doctrine that aren't in the Bible. I mean, there's no pope, there's no there's no purgatory, which and purgatory was really important because. Um, the church's authority depended on the fact that the church could say, if you do this or that good work, then that will make it easier for you to get into heaven and then, then therefore you'll spend less time in purgatory. So uh, Tyndall's hostility to purgatory is, is again partly a kind of rebellious act against the authority of the church. Uh, he then finds out that it's not a... Uh, there isn't anybody who's going to finance him to to translate the Bible. Uh, that the, 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 the idea of that is is very unpopular with 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 uh, uh, the authorities, both uh, church and state. And so he realizes the only way he can do it is to go abroad. So he goes to what is now Belgium, um, and he translate. He starts off in Cologne. Uh, which is now now in Germany, and literally the police arrive, and he rushes up, up up the Rhine with with the first few chap printed chapters of St Matthew, which is all he's managed to do of the New Testament. Um, and I've I, they actually still exist. There's a couple of copies of them, and I've actually seen them and touched them in the British Library, which is very moving. Um, and and then then he he translates the whole of and, and prints the whole of the uh, of the New Testament and smuggled into Britain and burnt in very large numbers the copies that are captured uh, outside St Paul's Cathedral by Cardinal Wolsey, who's who is Henry VIII's kind of chief minister. So so it's 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 you know he's a criminal. He couldn't set foot on British soil. Right. Uh, he would have been arrested. Um, and so that that was that was the kind of root of his radicalism. But I mean, he obviously was a religious radical rather than a than a political one. Right. Um, when uh, when this uh, was done, it was right around the time of the Occupy movement. Is that correct? That's right. And did that inform the play either in the writing of it or that first production in your mind? I don't. Think, well, it only did so to the extent it, that it sort of proved my feeling that you know new generations appear, um, and the sort of fault of the new generation is to think that they thought about all these things first, and that nobody's ever thought about it before. Uh, and then the fault of the old generation, I think, is to say, oh, well, we've, do we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. You, know, you, do you don't need to go back over all this stuff. And so obviously in the, in the, the, the late noughts and the early, and the early tens, you, you did have Occupy, which looked very much like the, the, the radical movements of the, of, the, of the 1960s and 70s uh, in America and, and indeed here. Uh, you also got the new feminist movement, um, which felt very much in its kind of imagination and its its aggression and it, its commitment, very much like the feminist movement of the early of the late sixties and early seventies. Um, and you had a continuation of an environmental movement, a green movement, which was, you know, in a way had been revitalized and again felt quite similar to the green movement as it emerged in, in, in the early 70s. And so I think a lot of people said, oh, well, you know, we've sorted all these things out. And then 
the young activists were saying, no, you haven't. Uh, how, how dare you say such a thing? So, yes, absolutely. I think the, the Occupy and the 99% and the, and the various movements of which the Arab Spring was one were very important. And, and there was, in fact, a, a sit-in protest, a sort of anti-capitalist protest uh, outside St. Paul's, you know, on the very streets where Tyndale's Bible was burnt, which, um, which eventually, the, 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 with great reluctance, the cathedral, the, the, the cathedral had to ask, well, didn't have to, they asked the police to clear. So there was a, um, and that I think happened happened sort of after after the play was on. But it may have happened. I think I think it happened between the play being on in Stratford and then transferring to London. So so that that gave it a, an added impetus too. One of the figures at, at St Paul's uh, resigned his position as a result of that, and, and I think uh, maybe worked with your production a bit or wrote program notes for it. Is that right? Yes, Giles Fraser, who, uh, who who we got quite close to, and also another person who was on the uh, um, on on the chapter of the of of, of, of you know the, the ruling body of, of St Paul's Cathedral, uh, who's actually the biographer of, of of Lancelot Andrews, and 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 he and Giles and I did a sort of panel about the uh, about the play and and and, and its implications um, in in the the building where the the revisions of the translation were undertaken so that was that again was quite a a, a moving thing to do but i think i think with giles i mean giles is a sort of radical uh within the church of england and i think he um which is as you know is the equivalent of the episcopalians with you um uh and i think he he found you know that aspect of the play um intriguing and exciting I'm going to ask uh, ask the company if they have uh, specific questions they wanted to ask you uh, now, David. Hey, David. Great. So my question was, um, in, in the script there's these a lot of what I, I would call earthy passages, the references to Mary Magdalene, um, woe is me for thee, my brother Jonathan, uh, what could be interpreted as the hard places. And yet, when uh, Tyndall and, and Andrews actually get to a conversation where Tyndall questions him about the hard places, all they talk about are mathematics and cubits and the appointment of the temple fixtures. And I just wondered what you were up to with that. One of the things I wanted to do when they're getting to know each other was, was for, I mean, they're both translators, um, and there is this pages and pages and pages I can't rem now remember it I think it's Leviticus isn't it uh, pages and pages, pages uh, uh, which are really difficult to translate uh, and they're sort of sharing a problem you know like, like two sopranos you know sharing a particular high note the difficulties of a particular high note so I, I, I think that's what uh, I, I think that's it's a hard place in the sense that it's it's hard to translate and it's it's very technical and it's rather and and, and you might argue it's 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 a bit dull so so i i think then there's the the problem of the things that are politically difficult to translate or spiritually difficult to translate of which the obvious one is 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 the difference between church and congregation um uh and then also you know there's, there's a number of other other whether you, you know priest or elder uh, and so on. Um, 
on the earthy language thing, it's it's worth pointing out that one other thing that Tyndale observed and, and, and expressed was, of course, the New Testament was written in street Greek. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a bit of, of, I think it's the early bit of St. Luke, if memory serves, which is written in sort of high high Greek, but actually most of it is written in a in a fairly uh, you know, in a, in, in a fairly um, street vernacular way and that was something that appealed to Tyndale so um, the King James Bible is actually sort of more highfalutin and more grand in its language often than, 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 than Tyndale is whereas Tyndale is much simpler um, it's, it's a statistic which I think is worth remembering that um, the uh, the King James Bible has five thousand different words in it, and the works of Shakespeare have twenty nine thousand different words in it. So you know it's 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 linguistically quite simple, um, and obviously that was something that, that appealed to Tyndale because he wanted to speak to to, to ordinary people. Okay, uh, very good. Let me see who else has got a question for David. Somebody else. Uh have their hands up. I'm going to pass you over to Kaylee, who's playing Mary. Hi, David. <laughs> um, I wanted to know, I know you mentioned her briefly earlier, um, and I can make assumptions, but I was just curious as to why you decided to include the character of Mary within the play. Um, I, I wanted to have a representative of, 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 of the generation that would have been in maturity during the English Civil War, which was the kind of last, you know, as I said, the last act of the Reformation, uh, and that she does express um, express the kind of anger uh, of, 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 of young people feeling that an older generation is telling them, you know, what, what they, telling them the battle is over when, when they, they don't think it. It also, I think, it's important that it's a woman because women were very important to the Reformation. Obviously, fewer women than men read, were able to read, uh, but it was something that women were increasingly wanting to do uh, and learning to do. And Anne Boleyn, who was Henry VIII's, the second of Henry VIII's six wives, um, who sort of tends to be known popularly as being a bit lightweight uh, and uh, a bit self-obsessed. Actually, was a very fervent believer in Protestantism, and she there was a book that Tyndale wrote uh, about kingship, actually, oddly enough, which she made Henry VIII read. Uh, and I think she would have, had she lived, she might well have, you know, campaigned for Tyndale to be allowed to come back to to England, so uh, so it was a very important role for women in the in the Reformation, and I wanted to um, uh, you know I wanted to for, for that to be represented represented in the play. She's uh, she's kind of self educated uh, and knows knows quite a lot on the topic. You know, I mean, uh, and also you know the the sexual advances that are made towards her by a priest. Um, you know, would, would, would support the idea which was very current and, and for which there was some justice that the priesthood was, you know, was hypocritical and not following its own Christian precepts. So it was, I mean, it was, it was a Puritan movement. Um, and so when she quotes whatever book it is, I think it's one of the Samuels, when she's talking about, 
you know, destroying the idolaters and sodomites. I mean, certainly, you know, she's uh, the, the the Reformation was was not politically correct in a in, in a way that we would understand it um, on on issues of gender and sexuality. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there's, there's the Puritanism of it uh, did one of the things it was critical of was. Um, you know, was 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 the sexual indulgence of of of, of the church. Very good. Um, any other any other questions for David? Uh, I'm going to pass you to Sean, who's playing the young uh, priest in the prison scene. Hi, David. Good, thank you. Um, so, in I'm playing the young priest, and I wanted to get a better sense of in that scene in the prison, what is based on uh, sort of historical fact, and what is you know, your, your, your additions. Thanks. And he did, in fact, reputedly convert um, the... He was in prison for some months, uh, and then he was tried, and then he was executed. Uh, but he, di he, did, he did convert... Um, he converted the keeper. I mean, not, not, not the guy who we've got in the scene, but, you know, the, the senior jailer, the person in charge of the prison. He's reputed to have to have converted him and his wife, um, uh, but obviously they they you know they couldn't stop him being executed. Um, so so that's true. The other the other thing that is true is that he did write, he did translate these other books of the Bible, which were never published under his name. Um, so he, he he translated the New Testament and then he translated. The, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, the so-called Pentateuch, um, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And um, that's all that was ever published under his name. And then he wrote these additional, however many books it was, he translated these additional ones, and um, they turn up in, in, in a Bible, which is known as the, as the Rogers Bible, um, because the guy who, who, who wrote it was Rogers, William Rogers. Which I've got that wrong, I think it's John Rogers. Um, and yes. so, so, so that's true too. Uh, and and, and that therefore somewhere along the line um, that um, uh, th those books of the Bible uh, were written and were, were translated and were smuggled into, into England in some way or another. So that's what's true. What I've speculated about is that he did it in prison. Um, and also I've imagined that a priest who certainly would have been sent to see him the night before his execution uh, to try and get him to um, try and get him to uh, uh, to recant his 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 anti-Catholic views, um, that, 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 that the idea that Tyndale converted him, and his act of conversion was to take the uh, was to take the take the Bible, um, or, or take those books of the Bible and, and, and smuggle them out. So all of that is invention or speculation, um, as is the idea of you know it being hidden in a in a stove, um, which in fact I pinched from the first draft of Brecht's Galileo, uh, where that happens in the last scene. Um, and uh, so, 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 so it's, it's a speculation. It could have happened, um, and 
it certainly was true that he was a very forceful individual and could therefore, you know, convert people. Um, uh, you know, was able to to argue even under under those sort of circumstances. Okay, um, we're we're about out of time on our end. Uh, is there one more uh, from somebody? Somebody have one more question? Have a question about that. Uh, here's George, real quick. George, yeah, do you know? Hi, David. I'm playing uh, Andrews. I'm good, thanks. Um, I just I had a question. Um, historically, I guess as well as in the play, do you feel that there was ever a time where Andrews was tempted um, to the position of Archbishop of Canterbury, or is that something that he shied away from? pretty much from the beginning. I'm not sure I believe, I mean, the, the, the sort of a claim that he never really wanted it. Um, you know, he, he was a pretty, you know, he was a pretty careerist. Well, I mean, he, he certainly didn't stand against his career. I mean, he, he, he the bishoprics that he had were, mo were were getting, you know, bigger and more important as he, as he went up the went up the scale um and you know he, he he did pray for five hours a day uh, i've read which which you know his little thing the, the loathsome sinner speech is from his um his book of prayers some of which is quite poetic and a lot of which is you know combinations of biblical texts but some of it is very self-lacerating um and so clearly there was there was a sort of level of guilt that went beyond, you know, normal, though lots of people felt guilty a lot of the time. Um, and so th there was something there, and I think the fact that I think he is sexually attractive towards Ward, uh, wouldn't ever do anything about it, but, but is sort of feels guilty about that. Uh, his biographer, who I talked to a lot um, about this, feels that... Um, feels that that is that an unmarried priest at that time um was was unusual uh it wasn't it wasn't you know forbidden but uh so so, so it's a kind of a, a, you know a combination of not being married with um with 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 an excess of guilt for no apparent reason might lead one you know might lead one to that to that speculation um so uh, for for all of those reasons, uh, he might have been inclined or relieved when uh, the archbishopric didn't come to him. I mean, he lived on for he dies in the early 1620s. So you know, George Abbott happened to you know happened to uh, uh, be a very long-serving archbishop. But I mean, there's no reason why uh, uh, with 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 death rates as they were uh, that he that, that, you know he might have become an archbishop later and certainly William Lord who we see in the play at the age of 30 and who becomes you know the great hate figure for the Puritans and the parliamentarians in the Civil War um, you know he he is a friend of I mean we know that he was a friend of, of Andrews and clearly uh, very sympathetic to him, uh, you know, in, in terms of doctrine. Uh, but I think I think what what I've tried to do is just pick one of those days that happens in somebody's life uh, when, you know, the crisis of their of their identity, um, you know, everything comes in on 
you know, comes in on him and he, you know, what is his sexuality, his guilt about what he did, um, uh, his, his feeling perhaps that he might have betrayed his, his, his earlier uh, Protestant ideals, the fact that he became a, you know, an interrogator of somebody who he had been, who'd, 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 who'd given him confidences, um, uh, and he might have, you know, he, he certainly betrayed him by, you know, going and trying to make him convert. Um, and so I, I think for all of those, it's a day when, when his past, you know, comes flooding back to, to haunt and taunt him. Very good. Uh, that's very helpful, David. Thank you. Um, so um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap up now, uh, and just uh, wanted to say thank you for this. Is the the work at the RSC right now going well? I'm 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 doing something much less profound because I'm adapting Christmas Carol for them, uh, <laughs> which um, right. uh, which I'm enjoying very much actually. Uh, and um, uh, if they like it, it'll be Christmas next year. Okay, David, thank you very much. We all are very grateful, and thank you so much. Thank you, you so much. Okay, David, thank you very much. We appreciate your uh, having written written on the heart, but also your having allowed us to do the U.S. premiere of it. It runs through the 18th of December at Burning Coal Theatre Company. Tickets are available at burningcoal.org or at 919-834-4001. Until next time, this is Jerry from Burning Coal Theatre. Take care and have a good holiday. <laughs>